Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with women in ETFs. We get together every other week with some of the smartest women in the industry and we talk shop. I'm Cynthia Murphy, your host today, and we are going to take a look at the latest trends and insights from the Canadian ETF market. Joining us today for this conversation is Prerna Shendak, VP of ETFs and McKinsey Investments in Toronto. Welcome, Prerna. Thank you, Cynthia. It's great to be here. I'm excited to talk about Canada. We we watch with a lot of interest what our northern neighbors are doing, so it'll be kind of fun to get a firsthand scoop um, into the ETF market over there. But before we start, I'd love to just set the stage a little bit on who you are and who McKinsey is. Uh, McKinsey is one of the largest asset managers in Canada. It's also an ETF issuer. So tell us a little bit about your firm and your role in the firm. Absolutely. McKinsey has been in the Canadian market now for 54 years, servicing advisors across the country. Uh, we've uh, had uh, for a very long time a mutual fund platform for which we, we service advisors with. Uh, in the past five years um, has been the birth of our ETF lineup. So we launched our first ETF five years ago in April, and since then have um, launched now a shelf of 41 ETFs in total. To your earlier point, we are um, one of the largest asset managers in Canada, managing close to $200 billion Canadian in, in assets under management. And on our ETF platform, we're um, approaching $10 billion in assets now in five years. So it's been a pretty exciting growth trajectory. We have products across the active to passive spectrum, so all uh, types of solutions, not just your core index, traditional index ETFs, but we also do have strategic beta, as well as a significant sized active ETF shelf, particularly active fixed income. So uh, we do play in all categories within the ETF market and are talking to a lot of different types of investors. So your institutions all the way through to uh, direct investors. So I want to just start, I know last year in 2020, when all the markets melted down around the globe, there was a lot of volatility. You guys did a report that really looked closely into how Canadian ETFs held up during that time. What did you learn from that exercise? Anything surprising? Yeah, every time we've seen these volatile periods in the marketplace, ETFs definitely get tested. And, you know, you see a lot of noise in um, the media, usually around, you know, ETFs blowing up or causing further chaos or volatility in the market. And our, our work and our research in the Canadian market has not shown that to be the case, um, that ETFs delivered what they were meant to deliver, which was price discovery in the toughest of times when investors were looking for liquidity in March and April of last year. If we rewind back to 2008, um, the global financial crisis, the ETF market in Canada was quite small, uh, relatively speaking, compared to where it is today. It's seen a CAGR growth rate of 20 to 22% over the past decade, right? So it's been substantial growth since the financial crisis. But really, I would say, you know, we saw a good reflection um, in 2020 of the health of the Canadian ETF market, of the products available for investors, and that, you know, some of the fears that investors have had or have seen or have read, and they reference, let's say, global financial crisis or oftentimes myths uh, about, you know, ETFs being destructive didn't 
actually pan out. Um, so you saw adjustment far quicker as you'd expect an ETF pricing to reflect the liquidity of the market at that given time, corrections pretty quickly in ETFs. And so, you know, that's that's certainly been our uh, experience and what not just we've seen with our shelf, but uh, other products in the Canadian market as well uh, through 2020. And that reflected in flows uh, in the Canadian market last year as well. It was a record year of flows. And, you know, if we look at the history of ETFs in Canada, of course, the first ETF dating back 31 years now uh, launched in the Canadian Canadian market. So it's been a long time, but we have not seen flows like we saw in 2020 go into ETFs. And it wasn't just from one type of investor. We really saw an increased engagement and usage of ETFs by institutions, advisors, and individual investors. And so I think that says a lot about, you know, the health and the continued belief that ETFs play a key role in portfolio construction and um, long-term savings for investors. And we saw that continued adoption by Canadian investors in 2020. It's, it's interesting because it sounds so similar to what we experienced here, not only, you know, ETFs did well, they delivered, but just how it's almost like all of a sudden, they just seem to have hit a new stride. And, you know, as price discovery vehicles, as easy access, as get in and get out in volatile times, and just a, a growing adoption by the retail trader uh, and retail investor in the US too, it's just, it's been phenomenal to see massive flows. It's, it's kind of interesting. But so let's let's do a little bit a compare and contrast. So U.S. versus Canada or Canada versus U.S. in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Here, there's a lot of talk about fee compression. Investors are obsessed with the low cost. We tend to see a lot of the flows navigate toward your lowest cost option. Cost is a huge conversation here when it comes to ETF adoption. Is that the same uh, among Canadian investors? Is there an obsession about the lowest fee? It's a theme, but not the only one. And so similar to what we've seen in the U.S., we've seen a tremendous amount of fee pressure in the Canadian ETF market, not just ETFs, but mutual funds as well, generally in investment funds in Canada. And you've seen meaningful compression over the past five, six years um, in all sorts of categories of product in the Canadian market, including ETFs. In many categories, categories, Canadian ETFs are the same price as behemoth uh, US listed ETFs. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Canadians can cross border shop. And, you know, it's not just that they have a thousand ETFs on offer up here in Canada, but they have on offer 2000 more south of the border that they can choose to buy. Now we'll get into this hopefully later in our discussion, but just, you know, some, there are a number of considerations as to, you know, when you should be looking at a US listed ETF versus a Canadian listed ETFs. And there can be significant costs uh, and tax impact to you as a Canadian investor. But that pressure has come up north for that reason, right? We're not immune to whatever is happening in the U.S. That pressure is felt and seen up here just as much. However, um, a couple of other drivers of, of the growth of the industry here and adoption of product. We're going to talk about regulatory differences. We see a lot of different types of ETFs in Canada. We have, relatively speaking to our base of assets, one of the largest active ETF markets in the world. 
So uh, we love active funds in Canada and we love active ETFs just as much. So lots of active ETFs and investors really adopting um, those types of ETFs into their portfolios. We have a lot of alternative ETFs. So whether it's thematic, whether it's liquid alternatives, um, you're looking at private equity you know, coming to direct investors and Bitcoin, so alternative currencies. This is a very healthy market for all sorts of innovation. So that kind of excitement is bringing all sorts of investors to the market. And then, of course, you have your core offerings. So um, there's a number of categories in Canada where uh, more product has come to market only in the last few years. So, for instance, there was no emerging market debt ETF really on offer for local currency exposure in Canada until 2019. 19, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to go buy something in the US or somewhere else if you want that exposure. You're not really going to be getting that necessarily in the in the Canadian market. So a lot of what the ETF providers have done, um, including McKenzie, is try and fill those gaps, right? Where investors have had to look elsewhere because there's no choice. So there's been a, a lot of room to grow and there will continue to be a lot of room to grow, even in what I would consider to be more vanilla categories where there's still a lack of choice or product on offer for investors. So a little bit different, right? We're, we're behind in terms of um, just progression of the overall industry compared to a very large market south of the border. But in many ways, we're also much further ahead when it comes to innovation and our regulators really, uh, you know, being more collaborative in, in supporting the growth of the industry. So how many ETFs are listed in Canada today? Do you know? So just uh, close to 11 hundred now uh, in terms of ETFs on offer. There are 40 ETF providers now in the Canadian market. Uh, when McKenzie entered the market in 2016, we were 11th and we thought we were crowding in. So, wow. you know, the, the industry has grown tremendously, um, just crossed 270 billion Canadian dollars in assets. And that's close to a 25% year over year increase. So it's just a lot of net new money coming in, a lot of investors converting from holding individual shares and bond positions to ETFs or looking more north of the border uh, where historically they may have held U.S. listed ETFs. So lots of drivers, but the industry continues to grow and projections, our projections are that we'll continue to see that 20, 22% CAGR over the next five to seven years. So lots of exciting things there. So before we, we talk a little bit more about the innovation in, in Canada, I just wanted to ask you, you, you're talking about situations where a Canadian investor will choose a U.S. ETF instead or, uh, you know, vice versa. Yeah. What are some of the trends you see in there or in what case does that make sense? Right. So again, we'll have to do a bit of a history lesson here because it's important to the narrative today. But in the early days of the growth of the ETF industry in Canada, you had a lot of American players, uh, you know, d dominating the market. The typical BlackRock, Vanguard type issuers uh, were really the predominant providers early on. And then you started to see more of the Canadian asset manager get into the into the mix. So banks are a very big uh, element of our investment distribution here in Canada. So our, our top six Schedule One banks have a 
a lot of touch points with investors, as you'd imagine, across the country. So it's very concentrated. And so you start to see the banks enter into the space. You start to see independent asset managers like McKenzie enter into the space. And you start to see that lead table change over time. So you know, if we looked at a lot of the um, US ETF providers who were up here in the initial days, a lot of the product was wrapped, right? So a Canadian listed ETF on the Toronto Stock Exchange that just wrapped a US listed ETF listed on NASDAQ mm-hmm. and offered up here. Lots of reasons for that. I mean, it's efficient. And certainly for the, the manager, it's, uh, you know, you don't have to have a, p- a portfolio manager looking at that pool of assets separately. And it becomes a very easy activity to manage and maintain. Now, over time, a lot of them have had to go direct. Um, so invest directly in those markets instead of wrapping, because there's more education being provided and investors are understanding some of the impacts of even that wrap structure where a U.S. listed ETF is just used in a Canadian mutual fund trust and ETF where it can have that negative tax impact. So just to give you a couple of those examples, you know, if you're investing in something like, you know, we'll talk emerging markets equity um, mm-hmm. and you're, you're buying a U.S. listed ETF, uh, there's obviously tax impact between that U.S. listed ETF and emerging market countries. Every time you're getting a dividend, it's net of a withholding tax. But for Canadian investor in many different account types, you have a further impact between U.S. and Canada. So there's an additional 15% withhold between the U.S. IRS and Canada, right? And so you've got almost like a double layer of tax happening Mm -hmm. here and none of the underlying tax can actually be recovered by a Canadian investor in that circumstance. So, you know, that that withholding could be avoided between the U.S. and Canada if you just bought something that was listed in Canada and invested directly in those emerging market names. So that's one consideration that investors have become more aware to. And the choice available now in the Canadian market allows them to actually go and invest in something that is directly invested in those underlying securities. So that's one thing. And then I'd say in the index ETF land, index construction, which, you know, I'd say institutional investors spend a lot more time thinking about and looking at Mm -hmm. uh, is becoming more of a dialogue for even advisors in the Canadian market because every basis point matters. So most indexes are built for global investors or U.S. investors, right? They're not necessarily built with a Canadian investor in mind. So it could be things like what tax schedule is being used. Um, So there's typically two that most uh, index providers use. It's a U.S. RIC tax schedule or a net lux tax. So it's your most conservative tax rates, the Canadian tax schedule looks like neither, right? So optically, uh, it can impact how your tracking error looks because what is actually being experienced in the Canadian ETF is not actually what is being reflected within the index. Mm -hmm. So that's a prime example. Another one would be foreign ownership limits. So in our market uh, here, there are certain sectors where we have foreign ownership limits. So airlines would be one, telecom would be another, where we have restrictions as to how much foreign ownership can be had in um, companies within those categories. Uh, So some index providers build from a global perspective. So they actually put in foreign ownership limits, which make no sense for a Canadian investor. And if we're building an ETF to service, first and foremost, a Canadian investor, we don't want the weight of, let's say, Bell Canada, one of our larger telecom names, being artificially pulled under uh, or lower because of those foreign ownership limits, because there's, you know, um, maximums to how much, uh, you know, a U.S. investor can buy of that name, for instance. So there's all of these nuances that can add up to, you know, 
performance basis points of performance over time, tax drag over time, and tracking error optics that aren't right. Like they're they're not matching to what the experience actually is in the ETF. And so we spend a lot of our time talking to investors about, it's great. Look at all 3,000 ETFs in North America. Fantastic. But do your math. Uh, you know, if, if it's something where you're adding a position for three weeks and it's a short-term tactical trade, your most important factor is your liquidity, your secondary market on-screen liquidity. But the moment you get into mid to long-term holds, you've got to take a look at total cost of ownership, but it goes beyond your expense ratio. It goes beyond your turnover. It goes beyond your tax outcome. Take a look at what's actually going on in the portfolio and are you missing out on yield? Are you missing out on performance just because the index provider is sort of thinking about it more from a global lens? So a lot of this dialogue you know, candidly, it's not in the best interest of every ETF provider in the market up here to tell that story, right? So if you are offering US listed ETFs wrapped, um, if you are working with some of those index providers that aren't necessarily tailoring that to the Canadian market or the Canadian investors. So, you know, it's just asking the right questions is, is what we say to advisors. Have that discussion with your ETF provider and make sure it's the right fit ultimately for what you're looking to do. But it's this awareness that hasn't been there. And, you know, I think much of the growth in the Canadian ETF market is coming from that, the aha moment that many investors are having and saying, yeah, I want to I have more ETF exposure, but I should also keep in mind um, some of those impacts that could add up to meaningful, you know, uh, drag uh, in, in return and savings ultimately in my portfolio. Yeah, no, to me, what's fascinating about this is that, you know, we, we here, we're so focused on the US ETF market. And then we think of the global ETF industry as this wonderful place where everybody's growing. But just this case for the local ETF market, it's fascinating to me. I mean, you had me a double taxation. I'd be like, all over that, I'm out. So it's uh, it's such a, a great, great, insightful conversation about these differences that I think a lot of us don't even think about when you think about local markets. Yeah. And, you know, we did, a, we did some analysis on looking at some other global markets and wanted to see if this would this narrative would play out in terms of local ETF providers starting to become more dominant in those markets. And we've seen this in, in countries like Japan, where you hear names like Nomura leading ahead of who you think of as the traditional global leaders in ETFs, right? And so we've seen this play out in a lot of markets where you know, with 54 years of experience here, I think we understand the Canadian investor fairly well. And so, you know, we can really tailor our narrative and perspective and ultimately products to the best interest of, you know, our own personal accounts and, you know, our neighbors and, um, and other Canadians. So it does matter and it's mattering more and more, especially as we go down the alternative route, right, where costs are higher and impact is higher. So, you know, when you think about cross-border, it matters even more. Um, and the more risk you're taking, the more, you know, you want to be making the right decision, taking into account all those types of factors. Mm-hmm. So we can't talk about Canada this week and not talk about to the launch of the Bitcoin ETFs in Canada. We're sitting here just slightly jealous. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the perfect place to, to combine a conversation about Canadian innovation slash regulation. Yeah. So walk us through this, just the environment 
that allows Canada to get there first with the Bitcoin ETFs in a way that we haven't been able to do. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's certainly been a very historic week um, last week for financial markets, generally for us here in the world of ETFs. And uh, I think what this reflects is our security regulators' willingness to support innovation and continued evolution of our um, investment solutions uh, for investors here and for the ETF industry here. So, you know, since 2017, regulators up here have been looking at Bitcoin funds, um, particularly closed-end funds uh, in 2017, and have since become more and more comfortable that Bitcoin is an asset class for investors in particular, you know, sophisticated investors, there's certainly risks involved here, but that it is, it's here to stay and that there is continued development of infrastructure um, to support alternative currencies, but that it's not really going anywhere. And so uh, our regulators up here do recognize that it's in the best interest of investors that, that they be part of the process and helping uh, ensure that they're building the right regulatory frameworks or guidelines for products like this to be offered in the Canadian market, but that they don't want to take the job of speculating on the actual asset class. So what essentially they're doing is leaving it up to investors to say, to decide, is this the right exposure for you? You make the decision, you do the work and the analysis that, you know, in terms of merits of Bitcoin, we're not going to get in the way of that. We want to provide and ensure that there's adequate disclosures to inform those investors those decisions being made by investors, right? So it's been, um, that journey has been quite collaborative with, you know, some of the ETF providers who've been able to come to market in the past week. Um, so evolve in purpose uh, with their ETF solutions. And, it, you know, it's played out in other categories like marijuana. I mean, that that has more reach to just, you know, general legalization uh, of medical marijuana in this country and uh, us being forward in that and then certainly being able to translate that into investment solutions by but, you know, the, sometimes I think foreign investors, global investors look at Canada and see us as a sleepy country uh, that we sort of <laughs> chug along and we're sort of sitting on top of the U.S. and that nothing exciting goes on here. But, you know, I'd say our regulators spend a lot of time looking ahead, looking at global markets, what other countries are doing, in particular U.S., the U.K. and Australia are ones they often look to, but also not wait for that kind of change or action or, or progression to happen in those markets, but lead it. So, you know, I think we've seen that innovation in many ways, uh, even active ETFs, generally speaking, uh, you know, many markets, including the US are attempting to, you know, progress in terms of seeing that active ETF share grow and, you know, structures like ant in the US and um, in Canada, we, we haven't, we haven't faced the same challenges. We've got a regulator who understands and is supportive of how active managers can offer active ETFs without having to disclose uh, holdings on a daily basis uh, in the Canadian market. And that having that information out to liquidity providers, market makers is sufficient enough to keep the market honest and pricing honest for investors in the market. So, you know, I think it's, it's a, it's a big coup Kudos to, um, to our regulators up here, certainly to the ETF providers as well. Uh, we have, you know, with that 40 now number of ETF providers in the Canadian market, many of them um, you know, are very focused in 
in particular areas of the market and you want that. You want that in a, in a healthy ETF ecosystem. You're always going to have the big ETF providers who are sort of, you know, your core. They provide longer term focused products. And then you're going to have, you know, lots of different exciting smaller firms who are experts in different areas of the ETF market. And that's a good thing. So, you know, it's exciting for us to see that. I, I think we're going to see more and more to that effect this year, not just within crypto, um, but generally within liquid alternatives. It's been a big theme and a big discussion for us in the market over the past 18 months. But yeah, expect us to be doing, I think, more of the firsts. This isn't uh, the end of it. Yeah, no, there's definitely nothing sleepy about what's going on in Canadian ETF. So (laughs) if anything, we seem a little bit asleep here lately. So we'll have to see what happens. So as we wrap up, Perna, I wanted to just ask you kind of like a general question. Um, You know, when we what strikes you as perhaps the biggest advantage or the biggest disadvantage Canadian ETF investors have relative to U.S. investors? And it could be um, a more open regulatory framework that counts, too. We just talked about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I'd say that's definitely a big one, right, is lots of innovation and excitement and new products. And um, the choice is growing for investors. So definitely a big advantage here in active. I spoke to as well. Advisors in this country, investors in this country have a lot of active exposure, unlike the U.S., where you're seeing, you know, a even in the past decade, of course, a significant uptick in indexed assets versus active assets. We don't see those kinds of numbers here in Canada yet. We're not there, right? Active management is predominant. 90% of assets are in active management in this country. So um, I think that's an advantage that we can offer that in the ETF market seamlessly today, unlike sort of other markets that are uh, that are trying to, you know, find different creative ways to do that. But disadvantage, I think, is just time, right? We're, we're a slow country. As, as innovative as we are, we are also slow to actually, for the masses to adopt um, more ETFs or more index assets, the benefit of active and and index living together in a portfolio, how to think about portfolio construction in the long term, and then demographic shifts. I mean, sure, this impacts all parts of the world, but um, with the significant transition of assets in the next decade, how is that going to play out with a market that is dominated by banks, where, um, you know, the the next generation of investors is really questioning how they want to be saving, who they want to work with, what the value for money conversation looks like with advisors uh, and how robo-advisors fit into this narrative. I think there's a lot there that we're going to see changing generally in the asset management industry uh, over the next decade, but we're behind, right? We're behind in terms of growth. We just need more time and, you know, hopefully exciting endeavors like this can continue to draw investors to the more boring solutions in the ETF world as well to start to use ETFs, not just on the periphery, uh, where, you know, they're playing in key themes or, um, you know, new areas of the market, but to also look at that core of their portfolio and look to ETFs for that. So time is, is uh, you know, where we fall behind, but uh, I think we'll be catching up hopefully in the next decade. <laughs> I bet you will. So unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today, Prano. This was fascinating. Thank you. This was a fun conversation. For previous episodes of ETF Working Lunch, check out ETF.com. For more on women in ETFs and how to get involved, check out womeninetfs.com. 
on behalf of myself and the ETF.com team, thanks for listening and we will see you next time.